0: Welcome into the penultimate in-season edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. We are now approaching mid-September. The final race weekend of the season is upon us. The penultimate race of the season at Portland. The BitNile.com Grand Prix of Portland just wrapped up. We'll recap that this episode, plus some silly season news, announcements to come, rumors, and more. Plus a little bit of schedule news for 2024 as well. We'll get to all that this week. Hi, Justin. Hello. How are we doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. And you know, I this is the first time in a long time. Like, well, there was a race <laughs> over the weekend, but I honestly don't have a whole lot to take away as far as the on-track action. Uh, Pretty. Was ho-hum. there on-track action? I mean, there there it's, was. If you're race control, did
1: something happen? Ah.
0: Yeah. We'll we'll dive into race control. mentioned some silly season announcements, a couple of driver confirmations, uh, some to come that we're expecting, and then schedule news as well all this week, plus a preview of the season finale race, the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca, where IndyCar has held a test today uh, as we record on Thursday, September the 7th, practice qualifying race weekend upcoming with the season finale coming up on Sunday. So let's kick things off. The the, the word of the episode is penultimate. It's just a fun word to use. Penultimate, it is. It's a fun word to use. And the winner of the penultimate race in the IndyCar season was Alex Pillow. So Alex Pillow gets the win and gets the championship. Fifth race win of the season. I mean, it's just been a dominating performance by him all year. I think it's fitting that he's able to, to get a race win and clinch the championship the same week. It, it's always so awkward, right, at the final race when they have like the race winner yeah. and then also the champion and the back and, and forth. And it was nice really to cares. have everything tied together in a neat yeah. little bow.
1: Nobody really cares about the race winner? No. It's kind of, yeah, that's great. But get out of the way. We have to give the Astor Cup to somebody. So, yeah, it was nice that Alex Polo wrapped it up while also winning the race.
0: So he gets the win again, fifth on the season, just a a dominant performance by him yet to finish outside the top eight this year. Still, uh, Iowa one and St. Pete, the opening race of the year, his, his worst finishes. And those are both eighth place finishes on the season. So just continuing his dominance, Scott Dixon with a podium, Felix Rosenquist, uh, as he nears his swan song at McLaren gets on the podium as well, finishing in second. So a good result for him over the weekend. Uh, let's start with our three things. I guess first off I'll start with Alex below. Uh, this one's pretty obvious, right? He gets the race, win, wins the championship, maybe not so much what he did on Sunday, but what he was able to do since the end of last season at Laguna Seca, getting that race, win, seemed to get his confidence back, he hadn't won a race last year uh, coming off a championship year in 2021. But then more importantly, what he did this year, that stretch between the Indy GP and Mid-Ohio, where he won three of the four races, won two polls, if not for getting taken out by Rina's VK in the pits in the Indy could have realistically won five straight races. I mean, he was that good. And for him to do all that and then have everything crazy that happened with his contract, well, again, he brought upon himself, let's not kid ourselves, as far as getting out of the McLaren deal, and still performing on track and not really missing a beat. Last year, it felt like he missed a beat with everything going on behind the scenes after the the McLaren announcement last summer. And then this year, when they get, when the roles get reversed, he seemed to not miss anything. And I think I was just most impressed that he was able to do what he did this year and just the consistency. Last year, Will Power, remember, only won one race but won the championship because of his consistency. Well, this year is the same with Alex Blow as far as being consistent, Eliminating those non-top-10 finishes and to have none and have one of the best average fin- finishing positions in any car history, I mean, it's it's quite impressive what he pulled off.
1: Absolutely a, a dominant performance by Alex Pelot all season. His five wins, he joins Dario Franchitti in 2009, five wins in his championship season, Sam Hornish Jr. in 2002, and Johnny Parsons, back in 1949. Do you know the record for wins in a season for a champion?
0: Uh, I'm going to go AJ Foyt. That
1: is one of two. And Alan, You are smart fella. Really? Okay. I I knew it
0: was I knew it was Al or Bobby for the other. So AJ, didn't he win like 13 of 15 races in 65?
1: 63? Uh, the, The record, at least for a sanctioned IndyCar season, is 10. By AJ Foyt in 64. Now he may have won more races, but were they sanctioned races uh-huh. in the series? And then Al Unser in 1970. Uh, Mario Andretti with nine in 1969. And of course winning.
0: What uh, do, do you, do you by year. any chance have the, the cart
1: record in front of you? I do not have the cart record. Um, I do not know this is IndyCar, So I do not.
0: Okay. Um, well, I was just I mean, curious.
1: I'm just trying to see if they have cart records in here because they have Sebastian Bourdais in here in 2004 and 2006 when he won seven for cart. I think the cart record, here you go, it is on here. Michael, Andretti, Michael Andretti won, won eight in 90. Yeah, yes. you know what?
0: I literally typed in 91 cart, <laughs> went to the Wikipedia page because my first guess was Michael in 91. He was dominant that year in cart. Now in, he
1: in, is. he is tied with Al Jr. in 1994 who also won eight races in CART that season, winning the championship.
0: So, uh, again, a really good season so, for Alex Pillow. So it
1: puts things in perspective. Like What we look at is as a complete dominant season by Alex Pillow still pales in comparison to some of the most dominant seasons ever in the sport. But that's not taking anything away from what Alex Pillow has been able to do.
0: And in this spec chassis era, it's, it's impressive because... Yes, the shocks can be different and a few other modifications, but the cars are the same. Like Back in cart, you could have the dominant chassis and or engine, and you were rolling, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, so that, that was a huge advantage. Also, a huge disadvantage, though, if you didn't have the right setup between those things. And now, I mean, the cars are the same. The engines are Chevy or Honda. I mean, back then, you had three, four, five engine manufacturers, so it was even... You know, if, if you had a dominant car, it was like you were Max Verstappen. If you didn't, it was like you're driving uh, an Alpha Tauri or <laughs> uh, a Haas out right. there, if you will. But uh, so anyway, Alex Blow, though, for IndyCar purposes, a, a very dominant season in the sport. What's your first takeaway?
1: Uh, my first takeaway, I, I don't want to start with the negative, so let's find some positives. I, I was overly impressed once again with Graham Rahal didn't Mm -hmm. turn out the way he wanted to, wanted it to, but he starts up front. He looked like he had a really, really good car, but it just didn't work out with him finishing 12th. I I think something that that we don't appreciate that that Team Ganassi is able to do so well is not only do they know when to pit their drivers or when not to pit, but they know to be able to look at the timing and scoring and know where their driver is going to come out and if they're going to come out in traffic or not, because that's what burned Graham Rahal was when he pitted and this is on his team. He kept coming out in traffic. And I think something we don't respect enough for what Ganassi is able to do is they're able to bring in Dixon and Polo When they know they're going to be able to come out in reasonably clear traffic more often than not. And that's, I think, what really decided this race is the pit stops that Ganassi was able to put together with its drivers allowed them to get fresh tires on, hit the track, and really put down some burners in clear traffic. Meanwhile, Graham Rahal was unable to do that.
0: And to put this in perspective, so Trackside Online with this stat, only three IndyCar race winners have started from the pole so far this season. Uh, and no winners have started from the outside of the front row. Average starting spot, the 16 race winners, 6.0.
1: Pretty impressive. Yeah. I, I, I'm here for it, definitely. But uh, that's what cool. I'm going to go with with my first point. Graham Rale, good job showing flashes that, quite frankly, I didn't think he had anymore. And you hope that it continues in the next season and he can get a win and Ray Hall and Orlando continue to grow but it was another impressive weekend. Now, they're completely lost on ovals, but how they've been able to turn their road and street course program around has been nothing short of very impressive. What's your number 2?
0: Uh, my number 2, so I kind of want to go kind of add on to what you said about strategy and Ganassi. They're on a different level. Compared to other teams, even Penske, for example. I mean, the fact that it wasn't just Graham Rahal, but also Scott McLaughlin, who started second, who seemingly they were just running the race. The first stint, they pit once, and both of them just caught up with lap cars, and 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 were never really a factor again. I right. mean, they got in the fringes of the top ten, you know, the 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 latter group of the top ten at some points, but it just never really. Worked out, and and I get it. Lap cars are a problem at at any race. Just it is you, what it is. But they're a
1: problem th- if you allow them to be the problem.
0: Yes, you. If you have a good enough car, you should be able to to drive your way through or a that.
1: Good enough strategy to pit when you can come out and not be around a lot of people.
0: Yes, and and I just think the fact that they they did what they did. I mean, Pillow three point five average finish in his last seventeen races. Uh, Dixon 4.2 in his, his last 13 races, that from Chad 200, and Kadassi has won nine in the last 17 races. I mean, it's just been been dominant for this team for so long, and, and especially those two cars. And I think what we're seeing here on the strategy side is just they continue to get it right when other teams get it wrong. And in a normal race, the, the top teams have the ability to you know, separate themselves. And, and, and Ganassi does it seemingly every race weekend with strategy. I mean, they've done it now three straight weekends in different ways. I mean, they they weren't dominant cars this weekend in qualifying or anything. I mean, yeah, Dixon started fourth and Plo started fifth. But it's not like they just missed out on the pole or something here. They, I, I just think they continue to nail the strategy when other teams get it wrong.
1: They continue to be the team that gets it right and nobody else does consistently and we've we've said it on this podcast before that the the underappreciated biggest offseason move in IndyCar was Taylor Kyle going from McLaren to Ganassi look at the season that Ganassi has had and Alex Pillow and look at the season that McLaren has had and tell me that Taylor Kyle hasn't been a huge impact for both teams in going in either direction and when you have Mike calls the established guy there, you have so many smart people behind the scenes or outside of the cockpit at Ganassi. I think, to a certain extent, it allows Chip Ganassi to say, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm going to find drivers, but I'm not going to pay top, top billing for some of these guys. I'm going to let Marcus Erickson walk. Why? Because I have the people behind the scenes that are going to be able to to." put whoever is in the cockpit in the best possible position. And that's been proven throughout this season once again.
0: Yeah, it's it's putting people in the right spots. And, you know, Erickson left going to Andretti for next year, obviously going to get paid a lot more. And I'm sure he's happy about that. But I'll be curious if it's the same consistency when it comes to strategy and, and, you know, how they go about things. Yes. On one hand, a a driver going from Ganassi to Andretti, maybe you can carry over some of that and maybe change the, the culture a little bit on how things are done to you know get back to being a a not only race winning team cuz they've been that yeah but a championship contending team
1: it's going to take um, a considerable amount of effort yes. yes just very impressive with with Ganassi's been able to do all around i mean it's a team that even i have, have said at times that Scott Dixon was on the downswing and oh my gosh they they who's the heir apparent and where are they going to be? Well, Alex Pillow is obviously the heir apparent. And as long as this, another issue doesn't arise, never know with Alex Pillow. He's set for the next couple of years, at least, at Ganassi. He's a very impressive overall. He just needs to get that uh, that first Oval win, which you feel probably coming next year? You had to bet? Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Comes I would say next year for sure. It just it seems like a matter of time.
1: As you mentioned before we started recording, it's not like he's been terrible on ovals. He's been respectable and been in, in competition, runner up at Indy, and what a fourth as well the five hundred. So yeah, he's not been a clown on ovals by any means. But that win so far has eluded him.
0: And you know, as far as the the tire designations, I mean, you go back to to what happened in this race, and it always comes down to you know getting the tire choices right and Graham Ray Hall, Scott McLaughlin, and Colton Herta, who we'll get more on him in a bit, uh, started on the alternate, Dixon, Pillow, started on the primary. Clearly, that was the right strategy call. It's just, it just the reality of, of getting it right and getting it wrong. I mean, you would think getting rid of the alternate tires first and going primary the rest of the way would work, but when you get cotton lap traffic, it definitely backs you up.
1: Yes, absolutely does, and that's that's the beauty of what Ganassi has been able to do is allow their drivers to come out, not in traffic, to then lay down some big laps. And they were able to do that at Portland.
0: What's your number two?
1: Let's talk about Portland and the race. You think about the Pacific Northwest, you think about Portland and it's uh, it's it's a laid back, sleepy town. And not a lot of excitement around Portland. You just go there to relax and chill, and it's it's away from the hustle and bustle. I felt like that was the equivalent of the race. You, even from the outset, the broadcast, the pre-race ceremony just felt like, like mm, it was just there.
0: It's a track that, I, I will say this. So I, I caught some of the Formula E race that they had there. I don't normally watch that series, but I just wanted to see what it would look like. And it felt cleaned up and it felt presentable. And I get it. Part of it was that was more in the middle of summer. So it's going to be a lot greener than it is, you know, in, in September. But it just, the track looked cleaner. And it just looked more presentable. And for this event, it, it did not. When you Let you, alone the fact that the crowd was, I mean, it, it was way less than Formula E. I can say that.
1: Well, and that was going to say, for someone that, for like you that tuned in and saw the crowd of Formula E and the excitement it seemingly had, it being significantly more in both respects than IndyCar. What's and that the Formula
0: say? E racing on this on the track was great. I I must admit, I, I watched some of the race and I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. I mean, I don't like the way the cars sound. It's kind of hilarious. They sound like, you know, like your remote control car with a little <laughs> engine. You know, <laughs> like RC cars. It just, yeah, it sounds silly. But the racing was pretty good. Um, for any car of this track, I mean, either get rid of the turn one chicane and just let them go for it. Yeah, it's, I mean, if there's no crash in turn one, in the opening lap, like I get that people roll their eyes, like, but also, that, there were nothing that changes happened. The, yeah, nothing happened. Nothing in this race. happened
1: in this race. Nothing. It was 110. Had a hundred and ten laps spins. of nothing. You had nothingness.
0: Willpower save a, a spin. You had August Augustine Canapino spin. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. Like that's that's all we had happen. <laughs> and it here. just
1: felt like. From the jump, there was no excitement, I felt, in the broadcast. There's no flyover, because you know I love to judge the flyovers. Yeah. There was just no energy whatsoever in this race. And for people clamoring that IndyCar had to be in the Pacific Northwest, and untapped resource, untapped region, blah, 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 I look at it and it's like, where's the energy and excitement that people claimed was there for IndyCar? But it's interesting. They seem to have that energy and excitement for Formula E, at Portland. So why isn't it IndyCar? I don't know. It it just unfortunately you're you're ending the season with a a boring race in Portland and quite frankly a boring race at Laguna Seca. Y- the the talking points this week are all going to be about breaking the track record. I don't care about breaking the track record if the racing is still boring. Okay, so the, the cars are going 3 or 4 seconds a lap faster, but there's still no passing going on.
0: Well, and ultimately, if if, if you are just going
1: faster, and no one's passing.
0: Does it does it really matter?
1: No, not at all. Just like if you were going ten mile an hour and there is no passing, it's still no passing. So I feel like there is a lot of hype around this track record thing. Like it, even Matt, like this is an indie we're talking about. What do I yeah. care if there is track records at Laguna Seca if the if the racing is still terrible and boring? And that that's come coming back to next year taking the step put Nashville at the end of the season and people are going to, oh, you can't put an unpredictable race and, and Crashville and stuff at the end of the, the season. Yeah, you can because it would add some semblance of excitement to the end of season schedule.
0: And, I mean, Nashville was fairly predictable this year compared to what we saw in years one and two of that event. Here's the thing. The drivers want a predictable race like Laguna Seca because it's safe and easy. If you qualify well, you're probably going to finish well. But, yeah. Fans deserve, you know, a true marquee event to wrap up the season, and Nashville definitely fits that bill. Now, ideally, in a perfect world, it's on an oval track and it's a four hundred or five hundred mile race, and on a big oval, you know, whether it's Michigan or whether it is, you know, rest in peace Fontana. I mean, Homestead, Miami. I, I mean, somewhere, right? I, I mean, can you imagine Michigan on Labor Day weekend. Right, Like, say, on the, the either the Sunday night
1: or Sunday afternoon. I mean, that'd be great. That'd be amazing. You, you look at what NASCAR does. The, the final race before the playoff, and whether you have issues and like the playoff or not, that's irrelevant. But the final race before the playoff is Daytona, where anything can happen. And chaos, positive, negative. A driver comes out of nowhere, wins the race, and qualifies for the playoff. It is unpredictability at Daytona. At going into the playoff. And you know what? The drivers don't like it, but they're not vocal about it, really, because everybody knows it's the best thing for the show. It's the best thing for the sport, and it's the best thing to, to put butts in the seats, is this event is the culminating event of your regular season before you go into the playoffs. Meanwhile, IndyCar is sleepwalking through the final portion of its schedule with Portland and Laguna Seca. And then now people are going to want to be salty about Nashville taking that spot next year. No, it's giving an infusion of energy into the end of the season that, quite frankly, I don't think IndyCar has. I mentioned it to you before we started recording. Is like, Are, are we the exception when you look at once football starts combined with the lack of excitement in the final couple races for IndyCar that we're just kind of like, eh, season's over, get it over with, we're watching football? Are, are, are we in the minority, or do you think a fair amount of IndyCar fans like us are like that? I mean, we're as big of Indy fans, IndyCar fans, as anybody. We got a weekly podcast, and even we are like eh, Laguna Seca, Portland, hmm, whatever football's on.
0: Yeah, and I think part of it is when you get away from your core Midwest fan base, that also hurts. Moving to Nashville to wrap up the season will help a lot because it'll be a lot more accessible to your core Midwest fan base.
1: I agree. Uh, at the same time uh, th- for those and I, I really believe this is a vocal minority I really do the people that want the season to go longer like I cannot see it I have a hard time caring over the final couple weeks of the season for IndyCar I can't imagine if it went another month I really couldn't
0: I mean I know I say I want early October a race at either Fontana or Michigan to wrap up the season but no you don't I say I want that. <laughs> but I also think having a race in the Midwest or having an oval to wrap it up would also help with the excitement. I really do think that would help.
1: I, I think it wouldn't hurt. A, think,
0: and Nashville being Midwest adjacent, as right. we like to say, it definitely is in the South. helps. I have
1: been corrected about that. It is in the South. But um, I agree. The, the fact that you're ending the year with two, uh, arguably, your two most boring Races and race courses is just not a good a good look, particularly when once you get into football season, you're fighting for eyeballs more so than any time the rest of the season. What's your what are we at? Your number uh, three, my
0: number three. All right, uh, it's time. the The biggest takeaway I had from this race, unfortunately, race control, race control. So you have Alex Blow make not one move, but two moves, no penalty it's not have yeah, f- uh, w- w- was it kirkwood who got a a blocking penalty yeah who it- did much less um then you have kirkwood getting you know mo- you know another penalty for failure to follow direction of any car for blocking so he had to yield another position um then you have the uh the ridiculous call to let Felix Rosenquist continue around while Augustine Canapino had spun, was stalled in a dangerous area on track. We kept it green and just kept going until Rosenquist could pit. Like (laughs) at some point, can we just go yellow right away every time? Like I just, I don't understand this letting either leave the pits open, right? Leave the pits open and don't close the pits every time or stop pulling this nonsense
1: with holding yellows. Don't make it more difficult than it should be. It feels like the immediate reaction to race control when there's an incident is, do we keep it green? Or for how long do we keep it green? If there's an incident on track, put the, the race under yellow. And you know what? If that screws over somebody, that's racing. It's been racing since the inception of the sport. That's racing. Instead of, oh, let's keep it open. Because one of these days, it's going to be the wrong decision, Caleb. And it could be a catastrophic decision. I keep
0: I, I honestly keep waiting for that. Like, I, I just I don't understand if safety is paramount. Then why are you allowing this to happen? I, I, I'm so frustrated that we can all watch a race broadcast. And not only did the did, did, you know, the the announcing team look at that. Oh, that is that under review? No, the plow thing wasn't even under review. Like, how is that not under review? Like, are we are we watching the same races here? Like, I just I don't understand. There's No rhyme
1: or reason to it. Because
0: anytime I think something's a penalty, it's not, and anytime I think something is not a penalty, it is. It just it doesn't make any sense. And can we just get some new faces in race control? Because it seems like they've completely lost the trust of the paddock. In fact, it doesn't seem like it. They, they have. They absolutely. They have. absolutely have because of the calls or non calls all season long.
1: It's almost like they're reactionary to the reactions of penalties or non-penalties. It's like, okay, people were outraged because this was a penalty. Next time around, we're not going to call it. Or next, this was a non-penalty and a team was mad. Okay, next time we're going to call it. Instead of actually consistently being, if you do this, this is the penalty. If you do that, this is a penalty. Say what you want about Formula One. They're a pretty cut. And, now, they screw up too, race control for sure. They're pretty cut and dry rules is if you react, it's probably a five or 10 second penalty, or you're going to have to give a position back. Like it's pretty standard. Like, and and there's no real, real questions around there, but, but IndyCar, you have no idea what's going to be called. You could have somebody disqualified from a race. We've seen that this year where you're like, wait, yeah, what? Yeah. I mean, you're like from, from no, no penalties to people being disqualified from races. Like it just, it, it makes no sense. And I, once again, I come back to the, it's just a reactionary group of of folks that, well, this was the reaction for this previous call, so we're going to do this instead this time instead of just being consistent. And don't worry about the reactions of drivers and teams and owners. If it's a rule and they break the rule, have a set infraction penalty for that rule. It's not hard, but seemingly in card car it is.
0: I will give them this. At least they're consistent in our viewed inconsistencies of their, <laughs> their calls or lack thereof.
1: They're consistently
0: inconsistent. Yes. I, I I'm just beyond like, I don't even, I don't even understand what's going on because between the, the, the yellow being delayed for like what? 40, 45 seconds for Felix to pit.
1: Stop doing and
0: then that. moving not once, but twice in reaction to another driver right. on track and not getting a penalty. I give up.
1: If you're going to try to be cute and keep it open, you need to adopt a virtual safety car or, or some sort of intermediary like Formula One has, because it's very dangerous. It's, at some point, it's going to be ruinous for somebody. And I'm talking safety. I'm not talking about the race. I'm talking about the safety of a driver. And just being cute, no, we're just going to keep trying to keep the, the pits open and blah, blah, blah. Once again, because they're afraid to experience the wrath of a driver or a team or an owner because the yellow flag came out and it ruined their race. Quit worrying about the thoughts of, of teams and drivers. Just judge the series as you should. Judge and don't worry about it. But I think they are so affected by by public opinion or paddock opinion, that they have no rhyme or reason and no consistency to what they call. And I think that is too. I think because that's one of the things in IndyCar, it's a tight knit community, blah, blah, blah. A lot of these race directors know the driver, they're former drivers, they're friends with owners. They raced with these guys. Like they're, they're too attached to the paddock to really be who they should be. They should be complete people that have no contacts in the paddock and just come in and judge the race as it should be raised until that happens. You're going to have inconsistency. It's just
0: hard for me to comprehend what's going on because the, the, the calls and lack thereof make absolutely no sense. And it just, it leaves me more confused. And there was a stretch where we weren't talking about race control constantly. And, now we've just come back to that again. And it's, it's a talking point every weekend because of some call or non-call.
1: I think and that's you, a problem. I think what you're looking at is the fact that the race control tries not to be part of the outcome of races. And by doing that, they are. Yes. affecting the outcome of races
0: alex below deserved a penalty yes, for the but movie they want to
1: be they're like oh my, we don't want to impact the title chase or punish somebody that's in a title chase or or leading the race or whatever they have to take that out of it a penalty is a penalty is a penalty doesn't matter who does it when they do it where they're at in the standings where they're at in the race a penalty is a penalty is a penalty period all right what's your number three Let's talk Yuri Vips a little bit, because I think he, he slipped under the radar. And I was a defender of Vips last week about a guy that screwed up. It's a major screw up, but he got another chance. And I thought he performed admirably. He was, he was not a talking point for all the good reasons coming out of the weekend.
0: Yeah, he, he, he started 18th. He finished 18th. I mean, he was one lap down. So finishing the race, Le- leading, win, rookie. leading rookie in the race, he beat Marcus Armstrong by one position. Um, completed all but one lap. Also a huge positive because getting laps in the car. And most importantly, I mean, that car is very much in the leader circle. you know, race at the end of the season. And he's protected that car as far as the leader circle standings on uh, where things stand for getting that money for 2024. And that's the biggest aspect you come out of um, Portland and y- you're not losing ground. In fact, you're staying pretty steady. You look at where things are at the, ECR number 20 is in 20th, 179 points. In 21st, the Ray Hall 30 car with 172. And then the car in the cut line is the number 29 for Andretti Seinbrenner at 169. Then the Meyer Shanks 60 at 166. And then the Juncos Hollinger 78 at 164 and 24. Those are the cars in contention. And for a rookie to come in, I will say, I was very surprised that, that Team Ray Hall went with a rookie making his first IndyCar start, and then also his second IndyCar start to close out the season when that car is in a leader circle battle. Right, right. I mean yeah. that's a bit of a risk. Let's let's not kid ourselves. And for them to to do what they've done is is very impressive. And I think that just goes to show you he's he's a talented driver. Now as far as what does this mean for the future? I mean he is one of the drivers competing for a full time slot at Ray Hall next year. So that's where things stand. And I think it's a, it's a good element. And with the championship decided, it was nice to see the broadcast, even talk about the leader circle. Now, what's so confusing is the 11 car for Ganassi that shared between Sato and Marcus Armstrong this year, not eligible. So you, you have to take that into account and move everyone up a spot. And that's a factor in all of this. So again, the, the 29 at number 22, the final spot, the 30 at 21 uh, with a seven-point advantage. And then three points back uh, is the number 60 at Chang. So,
1: again, Yuri Vips showed himself quite well. He did. Like, like you said, leading rookie. He finished higher than Will Power. Uh, finished higher than Alexander Rossi. And I thought for a guy that for all intents and purposes is trying to prove himself as a dude that deserves more seat time heading into next season. And whatever role that is through one race, I think performed pretty admirably. That's our three things, right? Yeah. we through our th- th- three, our three things. things.
0: And just another note on the Ray Hall team, Nathan Brown had this. So Graham had two poles in a season for the first time since 2009. Mm. And it also gives Ray Hall four poles on the year as a team. That's the total number they logged as a team from 2008 to
1: 2022. And a lot of that has been backloaded. Yeah. This is not, yeah, this is, I mean, the, this the is the first 500 basically. Uh,
0: yeah. The only exception is the first IMS road course race, right? That uh, yeah, that's Lungard had, had the pole for didn't end up winning, but, but had the pole for that first edition. But yes, I mean, he won a second pole. He won the pole in the race at Toronto. Graham obviously won the second Indy GP pole. And then at um, Portland. So, and then Lungard also won. Uh, yeah, so he won the Pole So, that, yeah, that covers it. And I, I just think overall, it's very impressive that the second half of the season outside of the Indy GP, where they had some success, um, this is a team that, that largely completely turned around in qualifying and in racing.
1: Yeah, it's been a, a great performance over the final three months of the season or so for Ray Hall Letterman landing and racing, considering where they were in May.
0: All right. Uh, TV rating time. So TV ratings were down slightly 953,000 viewers. Um, that was down from 979,000 viewers from last year at Portland. Yeah, I mean, that's Ho- holiday
1: weekend. Yeah. Holiday weekend. I know there was no, well, there was direct college football. Yeah, there's college right? football on. There was not a good game. It was Oregon, Oregon state, state and San Jose, San state. Jose state. Yeah. Um, so there was football but not good football. I, I mean, we always say a million is the benchmark but once I get to once we get to the end of the season I kind of throw that those expectations out.
0: Yeah, I mean Laguna Seca. I mean if you, you can what, get What
1: would you get 700,000 if you yeah, can get that? I was going to
0: say if you can get Seven hundred fifty thousand. I consider that a massive win. It's like
1: three million for every other Yeah,
0: race yeah.
1: In week just one, just
0: because of, of going against week one of the NFL season yeah. here in the US,
1: and and people really realistically actually want this series to go deeper, and even one weekend against the NFL is like, could you imagine three, four, five weekends? No, thanks.
0: Yeah, that's that's tough. Um, another another notes from over the weekend. Uh, congrats to Miles Rowe. Who won the USF Pro 2000 title? He will advance to the series, formerly known as Indy Lights, in 2024. HMD. Yes, with HMD. So
1: got some love from Lewis Hamilton. Yes, which on is on the socials.
0: Very very exciting. Great for him. I mean, he's a he's a guy who Penske basically saw the talent, gave him the opportunity, and now he's potentially an Indy 500 participant in 2025.
1: Man, that's a uh I don't expect Miles Rowe to go in next year and win Indy Lights. I think it's going to be a two-year grooming process for him. I expect to see him in IndyCar in 2026. I'm getting old. 2026. Can you imagine 2026? It's this is, this is getting ridiculous. Didn't we just jump into the year two? Wasn't it Y2K yesterday?
0: It, it feels like it.
1: Now we're going to be a quarter of the a way through a fr- frigging century, <laughs> man. But yeah, I, I mean, it, I think a lot of things would have to go right next year for him to be an in IndyCar in 2025, but we'll see. Meanwhile, Simon
0: Sykes, uh, wins USF 2000. He'll move up to USF pro 2000. So congrats to him moving up on, the ladder. I mean, can we still call it the road to Indy ladder? I mean, it's not the same, like it doesn't have that official name no, anymore. It it's, technically
1: is though. It, it I mean, is the road to indie car, but could you say that it's the, it's the ladder system, blah, blah, blah. It technically is a clear cut path. It's just not under the same umbrella, I guess. Yeah. There, it serves the purpose. It does. Still.
0: It does. All right. So that wraps up uh, uh recap of Portland. Let's get into silly season. So, Alex Pillow won the championship. Chip Ganassi all but confirmed that Pillow is back with Ganassi. No surprise there. Also, Marcus Armstrong confirmed for 2024 onward in a multi-year deal with Ganassi. Felix Rosenquist confirmed at Meyer Shank, The 06 car to replace Elio as far as full-time status with that team. So it'll be Felix Rosenquist and Tom Blomquist. Simon Pagino obviously out. Uh, He still continues his recovery. I mean, it's an unfortunate situation with all that. It's understandable than making a move. It's not like Simon had set the world on fire before then. Um, but the whole thing is unfortunate with that. Hopefully, Simon finds finds a home. He, he said he's focused on recuperating, getting his health back to one hundred percent, and that's obviously going to be the primary focus.
1: I believe for Simon pagno you wanna give him the benefit of the doubt, but at the same time you have to judge him by what he did or did not do up to his injury and he did not perform. But I think this is going to be a, a, a good injection of of a change in in approach and scenery at MSR. I I, I just you look at this season it just it can't get any worse, can it? No. At this point.
0: It was a very tough year.
1: Yes, yeah, so, I, I
0: don't know what else to say. Yeah, I
1: mean, that's putting it nicely, I think. And I think um, Shank would probably say the same thing.
0: Uh, meanwhile, so Marcus Armstrong, who can clinch rookie of the year for this year despite not running the ovals, uh, the battle between him and Augustine Canapino, and all signs point to Armstrong being able to, to hang on. I mean, he's got a 26-point advantage going into Laguna Seca. Um, but he will test at Texas Motor Speedway next week for his first oval test. So that is set. Um, so those are some of the confirmations. We expect David Malukas to be confirmed at McLaren on uh, Friday, September 8th, to complete their three-car lineup. So there's an, another confirmation. We also got confirmation over the weekend at Portland that Ramon Grosjean will not be back with Andretti in 2024. Not a huge surprise. We'd heard reports about that, but uh, official confirmation coming over the race weekend, where could he go? Uh, Dale Coin Racing is perhaps the favorite. If he goes to a team, there are apparently three teams interested in Grosjean. Uh, so it could be Man. one well, of how- those three teams, or it could be nothing.
1: I mean, how? Inter- I, I don't think the 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 question to be asked of that is which teams are interested in Roman Grosjean. I think the question is which teams is Roman Grosjean interested in. Could you imagine for how? Um, how sour he has been at times with Andretti, how that's going to work if he's a coin and you're just a backmarker. I don't see that ending well at all or even going well during it. I, I really think if I had to bet right now, Romain Grosjean is done at the end of the season in terms of being a full-time, full-time driver. I just don't see... For him, what's the enjoyment of going to a lesser team? He wasn't even enjoying himself at Andretti.
0: Yeah, and... and- a season that started out with so much promise. I mean, battling for the race win at St. Pete's, a couple of poles. I mean, it just completely tanked. Really, you go back to the Indy 500, and uh, he currently, somehow he's he's 13th in points, and that helps with the back-to-back second-place finishes he had at Long Beach and Barber. And then obviously at St. Pete, competing for a race win, but then 30th in Indy and... He's only had one top 10 finish um, since that second place at Barber, and that was a sixth at Nashville. It's just, you, it's just been a tough year.
1: When you look at McLaren, and you mention Felix out, David Malukas in, is there any excitement there whatsoever? Do you look at that when you say, okay, McLaren has to get better, and their major driver move is Felix out, Malukas in, that is... To me, doesn't change the expectations of that team one iota.
0: Yeah, it really doesn't. Like, doesn't Lucas resonate. Lucas is a really good like... oval driver. He's an above-average run street course driver, but I mean, he'll have better equipment, obviously, and it will be different going from a Honda entry to a Chevy entry. Don't get me wrong, but beyond
1: that, I just, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like shouldn't, shouldn't McLaren be above. Taking flyers on drivers that may or may not work out. Doesn't McLaren want to be like Penske where you're hiring, hiring established proven drivers, not a driver that may work out that brings some money. Just kind of feels like that's the play here with McLaren. McLaren must see something in David Malukas that I haven't seen. Malukas is a, is a competent race car driver. Do I look at him as yeah, he really ups the chances of McLaren competing for a title next year or competing for more wins next year, doesn't check either one of those boxes. Could be wrong, but at least right now, I just don't see it.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, who do you have higher expectations for next year? Um, Between Linus Lundqvist, who's at Ganassi, Marcus Armstrong at Ganassi, and David Malukas, and, and I get it. Malukas will be the more experienced driver compared to the other two, right? But wouldn't you take uh, Lundqvist and or Armstrong over Malukas? I would definitely take. I mean, what Lundqvist over? Like me. Malukas is a guy who could challenge for a win on an oval, but beyond that, I'd have to see a lot of improvement. And we we've, we've seen some of that in qualifying right. for street course races this year. But there's there's got to be a lot of improvement uh, for me to feel like he could be a guy challenging for wins and, and again he's run well in ovals he's qualified better on road and street courses this year the finishing results aren't necessarily there a lot of times because he's had so many mechanical issues Yeah, which I'm not going to blame on him but I, I mean is he is he getting you a finishing position better than 12th in points which is where Rosenquist is at right now I don't think so
1: yeah I, I just feel like
0: um and again, I, I get it. McLaren is, is, is going from Alex blow and, and having that in their lineup to scrambling. But if this is where they're going, I, I guess I'm just surprised because a lot of people, I mean, I thought David Malukas was a good fit for the fourth Andretti. Um, but I mean, if McLaren still has the sponsorship and that ride's ready to go, they just need a driver. Obviously the salary will save them a ton of money and then they'll probably get money back from below with the loss. Right. I don't know, I'm just—I'm honestly surprised.
1: I don't know I just look at McLaren as with the expectations that they put on themselves and try to portray them as this elite organization. Aren't you hiring somebody a little bit more proven than David Malukas?
0: You look at McLaren this year: one pole across three drivers, no race wins, only one driver in the top five of the championship and Pato Award. You have Rossi in ninth and Rosenquist in twelfth. I mean if the Ray Hall team hadn't struggled the first five, six races of the year, I mean, the Ray Hall team has outperformed McLaren. Yeah. F- f- far and away. I mean, four poles, a race win. Yep. Uh, Lungard's eighth in points.
1: Who would have thought that
0: in May? I get that Pato's a championship contender and he's got a lot of podiums this year, but beyond that, I mean, the rest of the lineup is it's, it's fine, but it's not a lineup like Pinsky or Ganassi. Correction. And it's in compared to Ray Hall and Andretti. I mean, maybe yeah. the the top end driver in Pato is better than anything Ray Hall or Andretti have. But Co- beyond that,
1: right? It's is it really that different? The correction for you is Pato is not a championship contender. There are only two teams that compete for championships. Uh, okay, in this he series. is
0: a fringe championship <laughs> contender. Because he is a guy that can run at a the top front. five. He's a top five championship. Finisher.
1: There you go. He can, finish in the, he can finish in the top five in points. There's only two teams capable of winning championships in this series. We will continue to say it, and definitely McLaren's not even close to cracking through. We thought, maybe coming into this season, is this the year? No, it was not. In fact, it was worse than everybody expected.
0: And then the other note on silly season is that... HMD Motorsports set to split with Dale Coyne Race. This, this is not a surprise. I mean, with David Malukas leaving, I think this was always going to happen. Now, as far as uh, their future in IndyCar, um, they're not there yet.
1: Could they be... I know there's a lot of talk about the satellite team for McLaren being Juncos, Is there a scenario where at some point down the line in the next year or two where HMD is the satellite program for the junior program, so to speak, for McLaren.
0: Potentially. I mean, they're working on their new headquarters in, in Brownsburg, getting everything ready. They have a, you know, they're have know, they running like a million lights cars every year. Um, their goal is still to be in the IndyCar series, but they'll continue to operate in lights. And, and the dream, again, is to get to IndyCar. I think it'll happen. I just don't think they're ready yet.
1: I appreciate HMD for not jumping into it when other teams would. Because you say, okay, we're in pretty solid ground with with, with Indy Lights. Uh, David Malukas is actually in the series, the son of the owner of HMD. So it would make sense for them to have some sort of relationship at the very least with the team or even have their own team in IndyCar because David Malukas is in the series, right? But they are being sensible in their approach knowing that they don't want to be a team that jumps into the series just to be in the series and be a backmarker. And even they, they had a the good comment, too. Like uh, they, they quoted somebody, and it may have been David's um uh, Mike dad. Marini, the, was the Mike?
0: general manager of HMD. This Basically said they want to be Motorsport. a middle-of-the-road middle yes. team. Yeah, that's it's exactly what I was going to get to as far as they want to be mid-pack. They want to beat the lower-level teams, he said. They, Which, they want to build their own pipeline, be able to take yes. drivers from lights to IndyCar and providing them with a high-level program, and then they're okay if drivers get picked up by Ganassi and McLaren and Penske or and Andretti. And he said, they're, we're, we're not going to hold anybody back, but that's that's their goal. It is I so, think that's, that's the right process to go
1: about it. I agree. It's so refreshing to hear somebody involved with a new team or something to have realistic expectations. Because you hear so much about, oh yeah, we're not joining IndyCar just to run around. We want to compete for race wins and championships. And I know HMD... Wants to compete for race wins, but they know they're, they're they know they're not going to be Penske or Ganassi and compete for titles. They want to be a middle of the pack team that can compete, knock off a fair amount of teams below them, and maybe every couple years get a race win. It's refreshing to have realistic expectations from a team. All
0: right, let's preview the final race of the year, the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey. Coming up this weekend at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Taking a look at uh, the schedule for the weekend. So again, all these times will be Eastern, even though it's a Pacific time zone race. Uh, practice one, 5.30 to 6.45 on Friday evening. And then practice two on Saturday, 1 to 2 Eastern. Again, Peacock, IndyCar Live, SiriusXM, IndyCar Radio, all the usual outlets. Qualifying 5 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. Warm-up on Sunday, noon to 12.30, and then the TV broadcast window, 2.30 to 6 on NBC, also on Universo, along with Peacock, as far as uh, for your viewing. Now, the pre-race is quite long. The actual green flag time is approximately 3.19. What
1: And broadcast starts at 2.30. What are they yes. going to talk about for 49 minutes? I don't know. When hopefully, the championship has been decided. Hopefully 45 minutes a leader circle I was going to say, can they break down the leader circle? That's what I want to see. But seriously, what are you, you going to discuss for that long? I don't know. Oh, maybe they can front load the commercials during the the pre-race. Commercial free. Uh, oh, is it really? No. No, no. Oh, I'm, I'm just God, saying, that'd be terrible. what if they did that? Wouldn't that be terrible? What, what are they possibly going to talk about for that long? With no championship to t- discuss. the th- are they going to talk 30 minutes about the the track record and the resurfacing Laguna Seca and the pass? Can we yeah. see that again? Yeah. Can we see the corkscrew pass, please. Yeah. We because could, there's we'll, no we'll recent highlights.
0: We'll see it again. I'm sure.
1: It's like, um, it's funny because I look at it kind of like when, when uh, formula one does their, their track preview during the formation lap and they're showing highlights from like, They'll show a highlight from like 2021 about this turn, and then they'll go back to like 1998 to show this turn. Like, it's 25 years ago. Like, you you don't have a better highlight from turn five than that. That's kind of where we're at with Laguna Seca. Is can I, can you show me something exciting that's happened? I don't know, in the last quarter century at this yeah, track.
0: Yeah. Right. Please. I mean, we're, we're, what, that was 96, right? Yeah. It's, so, it's almost 30 years. Yeah. It's, uh, can
1: we find something it's else? Fascinating. It's, it's uh, I'm telling you, and we will see it. Uh, I multiple oh, we'll times we'll on those it. broadcasts, maybe even multiple times in the pre-race because it's so damn long.
0: All right. Three key stats from Chad, 220 and 25 races, one from the front row. Remember, no one's won a race this year from outside the front row. So keep that in mind. We'll power two podiums, a pole, no wins facing first winless season since 2006. Uh, Colton Herta won his first two races from pole position, leading 174 of the 185 laps. Now he did that ride swap. With his dad and his dad's 98 Ray Hall uh, car that won the race, the the Ray Hall Ford that won the race in 98 for Herta between his dad. So they did that ride swap earlier this week leading up to this event. Very cool stuff. Colton Herta in the throwback livery this weekend. Hopefully things go well for Colton because he's also facing a winless season.
1: Well, and and circling back to the race on Sunday and hearing Colton Herta complain about needing to get off tires and then speeding in pit lane. When we talk about Scott Dixon being Scott Dixon, when's the last time you heard Scott Dixon come over the radio and complain about, I don't care what the strategy is. I need to get off these tires ASAP. I'm not going to say the last time Scott Dixon had a speeding penalty because we know when that was. Yeah, And <laughs> when
0: he complained on the radio, which was literally this last weekend, complaining about the, the Felix, uh, the, yes. the no throw
1: caution for to help Felix out. Right. But I'm saying... This is the difference between this is why I look at Kurt Colton Herta as not being a dude that has lived up to expectations over the last couple of years is because you're looking at a guy that is constantly complaining. He wants to change the strategy because when they ask him to do something, no, I can't be on these, t- these tires for five more laps. No, I can't do this fuel number, blah, blah, blah. I need to come in now. This time, this isn't going to work. We need to do this. You never hear that out of Scott Dixon. He is told a number and he will get it. He is told we need this many laps on these tires and he will get them. And that's the difference between right now, one of the many differences between Scott Dixon and Colton Herta. And while he is still young, Colton Herta, man, it's amazing what a year plus can do to change your opinion of somebody. I mean, Colton Herta was, he's going to be a fast track to Formula One. Once this Andretti team gets off the ground, it's going to be Colton Herta in Formula One. Even Michael Andretti, if tomorrow. He is approved to have an 11th team in well, the, Formula 1. the
0: FIA is expected to grant Andretti an F1 license. Well, then unfortunately, the, 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 yeah.
1: t, the 10 teams will veto it. So, but I'm saying, even Michael Andretti has to be having second thoughts right now. If tomorrow he's approved for an F1 team, Colton Herta being in one of those two spots, in those two seats, I'm not sold on it.
0: Uh, nine drivers beat Elio's track record in the open tests that they had. Will Power was the fastest. In the open test, a 1072 to put it in perspective. Um, this is a lot faster than what they did last year, as far as speed-wise. So, we'll have a, a track record. Will we have a good race? We shall see. Who's your winner pick?
1: Oh, who's my winner pick? At this point, I think it's like an explanation point for Alex Pillow, and he wins a race. Wins this race.
0: I'll take a risk and go with Colton Herta. We'll see. All
1: right. Have fun with that.
0: If you agree or disagree with us, and I'm sure there is plenty to disagree with from our uh, discussion on Portland, silly season, and more, let us know. you can reach us new While you're there, sign up for the email list. It is free. You'll never miss an episode or any special announcements, plus we have t-shirts and stickers for sale in the store. You can also reach us on social media, IndyCar Podcast, on Twitter and Instagram. On Facebook, just search for New Track Record. You can email us, newtrackrecordpodcast at gmail.com. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash newtrackrecord. Thanks to Xavier Rob, and others for their support. Again, just starting at $1 a month. And as always, you can download each episode for free on your favorite podcasting platform Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Overcast, Castbox, wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, all for free. Mailbag time, Justin. Plenty to dive into this week, as always. What do we got? So let's start off with some silly season debate and whatnot from from where things have stood. Um, This, we'll we'll start with this entry. Actually, no, this is not silly season. So my apologies. Uh, This from Jay Blasteri. Having a caution to clean up the marbles would make the racing service one safer, two better green flag racing, three bunch up the field. That from. Talking about, you know, stage lengths and, and, you know, what NASCAR does. I mean, it's it's
1: it helps. Yeah. People will say it's um, here's the thing. you will say, oh, it's contrived racing. Blah, blah, blah. So is keeping the pits open before throwing a caution. True. After an incident.
0: Uh, this from Poet Shevchenko talking about last week, uh, uh, listening to this week's podcast, obviously talking about last week, your flub about Lundqvist and Lungard reinforces the imperative for Paul Tracy to come back to the booth. <laughs> so we can witness the perfect fusion of Lungard, Lundquist, Blomquist, and Rosenquist into the ultimate name. That is true. That is, And they should all be on the same team. uh, Unlimited slip DF uh, gave a prediction for Portland. Exiting the first chicane on lap one, Dixon's car is struck by a basketball-sized meteor and is vaporized into a million pieces on lap 91. Having been on fuel save run, the cloud of number nine parts takes the lead and never gives it up.
1: My call would probably have a strategy for that.
0: Yeah, it would probably work out fine, right? I I mean... Don't worry, Scott, we're ready for this. Yeah, they'll they'll find a way to figure it out. Um, This from Jeremy from HBG. uh, Our rate the race is going to be spicy. Uh, Yeah, no doubt. In fact, let's dive into rate the race. Um, What would you give this race?
1: (laughs) Um... I would give it a five and a half Wow, generous I'm going <laughs> a five I didn't I, mean, I initial thought it was a three, but I was like oh, uh, it was IndyCar racing, I guess, but not <laughs> a lot happened
0: i uh I want this race to succeed. I'm getting a little nervous about its future. I'm not gonna lie. They finally got a title sponsor. the crowd didn't look great. The racing uh, here's the thing though racing in person versus racing on TV are two completely different things yes. So, you see things in person that make it exciting because you're not focused on following the leader or the top five the whole time.
1: You get a bigger perspective. Yeah. So, that's a big part of it. Um, the thing is with Portland is people are going to races at Portland. Formula E races. But they're not going to IndyCar races at least as much as Formula E. Why? Why is that? And I mean, part of it's out. having
0: an international series versus a North American-based series.
1: Right, but this is supposed to be a a hotbed of IndyCar. That's why they were pushing for a race in, in the Pacific Northwest for so long. That's why we keep hearing people, well, IndyCar needs to be in the Northeast somewhere. Right? Do they? Do they really? Because has has IndyCar taken such a significant step forward with a with the race in Portland after people were clamoring that there was an untapped market and IndyCar needed to be there? Because Formula E has come in and been able to steal that momentum. Was this the first year for Formula E? Was yes. there some sort of novelty with it? At least, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, first year. So we'll see if that wears off. But it's not like Portland is a track where you're going. Well, not many people are showing up. They're just not showing up for IndyCar. It's the Watkins Glen syndrome. Watkins Glen has no problem putting butts in the seats and campers on 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 their campus for NASCAR. Nobody was showing up for IndyCar. So I, I hope upon hope that they figure it out at Portland. I don't think it's on life support because I don't think it was a pathetic crowd. It wasn't Sonoma. No, no. But it's just the atmosphere is lacking. The event is lacking. The racing is lacking. Add it all up and you're just, it's kind of a meh event overall.
0: Uh, In fact, that leads perfectly into our first rate, the race rating, a three meh from I am analog. Audi F1 engines gave it a seven restarts after full course. Uh, yellows were tasty. It was a good to watch VK putting in a good performance. Yeah. We didn't really talk about him. He, he had a, a good run. Uh, Jeremy from HBG just said permission to rant. <laughs> we said, yes, didn't get a reply though. Translucent Trojan gave it a five and a half. So they agree with you. Daniel SEM 2004, six, the race was fine. The blatant misses by race control is a joke. NK Harden gave it a three worst race of the season. Uh, the first round of pit stops. The drama was over. Never even a question Pillow would lock up uh, the championship this weekend. Not really even a doubt that he would win the race after he took the lead. Get ready for Laguna to struggle to draw 350,000 viewers.
1: Oh, man. It's um, a it, lot of positivity. We've, we've talked about it at the beginning of the podcast. You need more than meh events to cap your season. Yes. And in recent years, there have been meh events over the final couple events of IndyCar season.
0: Jamin T-14 gave it a five. It was an IndyCar race. That is correct. That is actually accurate.
1: There was a... Uh, every car started the race. One car finished before any other car to a, win the race. A checkered flag was thrown. Yes, a checkered flag was thrown. Along with green flags and yellow flags. Mm-hmm. It was an IndyCar race in all those respects. But anything after that, it was, it was a lot of misses.
0: M. Vandy gave it a seven. Not the most exciting race, but there are high points. Jay Blaster, you give it a six. CGR and Pello have dominated this year from the first race in a series that is incredibly difficult to dominate. Hats off to CGR and Pello, what an organization! Yeah, I mean, if you're a Ganassi fan or just appreciate what they've done, absolutely, no, no doubt they have found something that other teams have not this year between Dixon and Pillow. Um uh, Other comments: This on Grosjean. Um, Bauer Racing. Skiing. I was really hoping he wouldn't be back to Grosjean everything up.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, people are funny and brutal <laughs> at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, this from this from Jer- okay. This is the rant from Jeremy from HBG. So my apologies. I truly believe that race control is worse than when the great Brian Brian Barnhart was canned, where we had the unintended consequences line from TGBB. The current guys are doing exactly what they are intending to do try to be safe and fair yet achieving the exact opposite. Uh, before that, uh, the racing was a seven officiating was a big steaming pile of number two. And not understand how the stewards did not even review the blow block on Elio Add it to the delayed full course. Yeah. You know, it was a bad day. So that, that was the precursor to the, the secondary comment. Um, yeah, I, no disagreement there with anything. The C- could not agree more.
1: I I firmly believe that to rectify the race steward situation is your race stewards need to be cryogenically frozen and they are thawed out before each event and they have no interaction with the, the teams and drivers and all that. They are just thrust into that role. They don't know anything about the standings, which drivers are leading the standings, whatever. And then after the race, they are then frozen again until the next race.
0: That way they can't be influenced in no, any way.
1: But I mean, it's it's almost like they, they need to be treated like a jury to where they know they are not dictated by any outside influence or whatever. They are just judging the case on its merits and what they're presented. They don't so know So they anything. would be sequestered. They would be sequestered, yes. yes. Or cryogenically frozen. I'm open to whatever <laughs> works. But I'm saying they're, 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 the race stewards need to be... In that respect, they they need to know nothing of what's going on, and 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 forced to judge the race individually on its own merits.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean whatever works, right? Um, this this poll I posted: Who is most likely not racing full time in IndyCar in twenty twenty four? Nearly thirty eight percent of you said Stingray Rob. Thirty seven percent said Grosjean. Nearly seventeen percent said Peterson. Nearly 9% said uh, Santino Ferrucci. Uh, NK Harden saying, no way Rob comes back. He hasn't shown anything. I mean, he's struggled, but when you come with funding, you come with funding. B. Frank 2511 said, highest probability has to be Romain Grosjean. Peterson is under contract. Only leaves if he and the team both agree. Rob is reported to have big budget, and Santino, if not saying it, Foyt, has proven enough of himself to land a ride somewhere. Uh, Zach underscore Dowdell said, wouldn't be surprised if Grosjean focuses on his Lamborghini LMDH program over spending another uncompetitive season in IndyCar. And Jay Blastery, it's a shame if Santino isn't back full-time. So I voted for Rucci in this poll only because he is the driver compared to the others who is least likely to get a ride because he doesn't bring a big budget and he's not Roman Grosjean, who people will want even though, because of the potential, even though it feels still untapped. Yeah, completely agree. Now... Rob will be back if a team wants his budget. Uh, we expect Devlin Francesco, we've mentioned this numerous times, to be one of the contenders at Coin. I mean, Stingray Rob could be back at Coin. you know, with bringing a budget. Peterson at Foyt. Yes, he has a multi-year deal, but we know how contracts work. Um, there's a bidding war going on for the Foyt seats now because of the Penske partnership. Let's yeah, not kid ourselves. That,
1: that, that changes things because Penske's now going to have a say in who are in those seats. Let's make no mistake.
0: So that's something to keep in mind. Um, and, and then someone saying, uh, he has a budget though. I think Grosjean will be back. that was Trans-Ocean Trojan. i um, talking about Stingray Rob. Yeah. When you come with funding, you come with possibilities.
1: More doors open than otherwise would.
0: Um, as far as some, some other notes. So the, the schedule news, um, international race alert. Here we go. Ooh. We'll get to it right now. Um, this from Adam Stern. Mark Miles, IndyCar CEO, says that based off current interest, you can probably imagine an international non-points race in Latin America, probably Argentina next year at the end of the calendar year. Also, talking to a promoter interested in a new race on the U.S. East Coast. Uh, Transocean Trojan replying, saying, non-points race, LOL. Yeah, that's... Unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Also, Jay Blasteri saying, more IndyCar is good, non-points race. If only for a year to measure the interest and to make sure some coin understand doesn't mean we have to like it, but understand Hunter's way 67 saying I'm more interested in the East coast race than a non points international race. Yeah. Where would that, that the the key phrase is new race on the U S East coast. Where would that be? Still
1: say Richmond.
0: I mean, where else is that really a new race? I mean, I guess it would count. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, that, that's my best guess. Richmond or Pocono.
1: I don't see Pocono
0: coming uh, back this Jeff year. Jeff Zerneski saying more races are always good. When did Cleveland become an East Coast city? I think it just <laughs> did. I think it when just did. When did Michigan
1: become an East Coast city? I think it also just did. It is on the wow. east coast of Michigan. It's on the the east
0: coast. I mean, it's it's uh, east of the gateway to the west, which yes. is St. Louis. That that that's good enough for me.
1: I I, I just fear with the Northeast, it sounds great but you look at the Pacific Northwest and everybody said IndyCar needed to be there. And you're just kind of like mm, Portland. Okay. It's there. It's, it's very much in my opinion, a schedule filler. Oh, it's, it's cool. We're going to, is it, is it, is it cool? We're going to Portland or is it cool that we have a 17th race or, or a race to get to 17 or whatever on the schedule? It'd be cooler
0: if we didn't have two IMS road course races, but that's just me.
1: Right. But I'm like, it's cool that IndyCar goes to Nashville, right? It's, It's cool that IndyCar goes to Long Beach. Uh, It's cool that IndyCar goes to, in my opinion, Iowa. I think it's a it's a great race. Is it cool that IndyCar goes to Portland? No. Or is it cool that Portland is on the schedule that helps it get to seventeen races every year? That's kind of how I look at it.
0: That wraps up the mailbag time for news and notes, and a few things to get to. So, um, we we talked about the race. Uh, options we didn't get to milwaukee very likely to be added to the 2024 indycar schedule according to mark miles Um, also declined to confirm expectation that nascar will switch back to commuting on the ims oval next year Now again the milwaukee news not a big deal also this from adam stern indycar starting later this year to begin talks with media networks and streaming companies about its next tv deal that will start in 2025 it's hired endeavors img media division to consult all options on the table according to Mark Miles.
1: CW on line one.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I'll say this. If they can keep the NBC deal as close to what they have currently, consider that a win. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they'll be able to pull that off. The
1: fact that they've had this many network races for this long is very, very
0: yes. surprising. It's to been me. been very helpful for It, d- it doesn't hurt when Nature- you're trying to
1: say Most watched season in 15 years. Yes.
0: Nathan Brown uh, posting this clarification on a question I've gotten a lot leading into this weekend, since this is typically the hopeful target for next year's scheduled release. We won't have the 2024 calendar until a little bit into this off season. Uncertain of exactly what timeline we're working on. So does that mean end of September? Does it
1: mean October? I am fine with as long as it takes to get Milwaukee short up, Argentina, whatever. Yes. Take as long as you need.
0: I'm I'm hopeful with all of that. Other notes: Andretti is rebranded to Andretti Global, and they'll be Andretti Global for the 2024 IndyCar season.
1: Well, that'll be something we continue to screw up. Yeah, it'll right. be Andretti Autosport for this yes. podcast for a while. Andretti Global, what's next? Like Andretti Universe, Solar System? I think he goes Solar System solar first. System. Then Andretti uh, Milky Way, <laughs> Andretti Galaxy,
0: yeah. I mean, if they can find a way to race on other planets,
1: they could at least be solar system. Well, what happens first? Are they racing on Mars or racing in Formula One?
0: Oof. <laughs> that's a tough question. <laughs> Let's save that for an off-season we'll, episode.
1: We'll have Michael Andretti on the show, be a coup to get him on the podcast, and then I'll hit him with that question first, and he'll immediately hang up. Hopefully
0: he'll realize it's a joke, but that's highly I unlikely. In that if situation. you listen
1: to this podcast, he'd know but chances are Michael Andretti has better things to do.
0: Yes. Oh, absolutely. Um, and interesting notes from the racer mailbag from Marshall Pruitt. So I mentioned Grosjean received interest from three teams. Chance. He won't have a seat next year. Um, the, the hostilities between himself and the timing stand is not really helping as far as him getting hired. And then also, uh, a notes that Marshall had as far as the hybrid unit. So they've been running tests. um, but Marshall says, uh, mail, M-A-H-L-E, was not going to be able to deliver its proposed system on time. And so they had to undergo changes once again for 2024. Uh, the plan shelved the 2.4 liter engines, took those budget budgets, applied them to design and creating a new ERS solution with the two engine partners working together on the project. So Team Chevy and Elmore working with a different European vendor to make the motor generator unit. And HPD is working with another European vendor to make these supercapacitors. So it says look for more details on that in the near future on racer.com.
1: All very exciting stuff. Just just have them ready to go yeah. next year. Can we just have that, please?
0: I, I don't really understand a whole lot beyond that. Uh, Adam Stern reporting that IMS will have a new company serving concessions starting next year. Aramark beating out the incumbent Levy Restaurants. Mm. Sources said 80% of IMS business is conducted during the iconic Indy 500. Uh, This was not during the Indy 500, but I I bought food at IMS for the second road course race for any car. And I'm like, okay, I'll just get chicken tenders and fries. And it was like, I don't know, $12, like not terrible. Okay, All right. And I get the fries and they're like tiny shoestring fries. Uh And the chicken tenders had to be the, the like stack two chicken McNuggets on top of each other. They're essentially that size. They were tiny. So I was very disappointed. I thought, well, you can't do worse than what you have right now. You
1: threw it back in their face.
0: No, I ate it. Do you know who I
1: am? I ate it. I host a podcast.
0: I'm going to bury you. No, I I ate it because that was my sad lunch Mm. that day. So hopefully it's better than the current offering. Uh, IndyCar has a special celebration for the season champions. Thursday, September 21st at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So that is the the banquet for this year. And there's a lot of back and forth between David Malukas and Scott McLaughlin over their tussle at Gateway. Malukas saying, I thought he called me a beast, but I guess that wasn't what he said. And he unfollowed me on everything. Ooh, man. Nothing like yeah, some that's, that's, social media spats. That, for that's IndyCar. when
1: it gets real.
0: Yes. And that transitions. Uh, uh, oh, wait, one more note. Um, the heartland film festival will mm-hmm. be showing the lionheart uh, dan weldon movie and that takes place october 5th through 15th in indianapolis so it'll open with the hbo and time studios documentary the lionheart about dan weldon so very yes. very cool uh so again tweets of the week we just have one and it is from scott mclaughlin FYI, lots of talk about beef and where I get it from. I get my beef from the best in the business. Good ranchers. Hashtag meat wagon. Hashtag beef game. <laughs> thought that, was, that was great branding. Good work on him. All right. Time for our random split era driver of the week.
1: Before we get to the random split era driver of the week, we do have a championship on the line this weekend. Caleb yes.
0: Hatch. Our fantasy league. And that's fantasy right. fantasy
1: league. Only 10... Let's see. Less than 10 points separate. First place, I thought you had the keys. Okay. And second place... Stux Racing. Okay. Stux Racing is nine and a half points behind I Thought You Had The Keys. They're the only real two teams that have a chance here, and we will be following this. Maybe maybe that's what will pre be previewed in that 50-minute pre-race is how we got here between the championship race between those two teams. But we will have the championship winner on at some point And, uh, maybe we can get some live updates too on the broadcast on Sunday on who's going to win this thing.
0: So I am overall in 26th place. I'm, I'm, I stopped picking. I've, (laughs) I've had top 10 results the last three races. The problem is I forgot to pick, I think two races earlier this year. Um,
1: that was my problem. I missed one then missed another. I I I missed two.
0: So that really hurt me. I want to say I missed Road America. No, I was 15. So I must have missed Mid Ohio. I definitely missed Mid Ohio. I'm pretty sure I did. And then I missed one other race. It may have been one of the Iowa races or something, but I, I've closed the season strong. Just, you know, not done anything.
1: You're you're building momentum for twenty twenty four, similar to Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan.
0: Yeah, one could say that. That's being quite generous. <laughs>
1: All yeah. right, so we'll keep an eye on that. But random split-era drive of the week, we're going to Champ Car 2004 and Guy James Mutlow Smith. Who? Or Guy Smith. Who okay, raced, first off, there's a Smith who raced
0: an IndyCar event. Now, not in the Indy 500, because we never had a Smith correct. surname in the Indy 500.
1: But this is fascinating. I, I Guy Smith, who he raced the second half of the 2004 season with Rocket Sports...
0: No, oh, the infamous Rocket
1: Sports. <laughs> and had two top 10s, one at Laguna Seca, one at Surfers Paradise. Overall raced in, let's see, seven races, finished 18th in points. Did a couple seasons in Indy Lights, 1998 with Johansson Motorsports, 1999 with 4th, Forsyth. Actually won two races in 1998 in Indy Lights, but then didn't come back around and do Champ Car until 2004. Did several years at Le Mans. In the early 2000s, and the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, which he has competed in in recent years with United Motorsports. But guy guy That's Smith, Zach
0: Zach Brown's team, United Autosports.
1: Yes, uh, is from Britain. Uh, has been an English teacher and coordinator in Brazil. Has competed in various levels of motorsport. He is 48 years old, so he was very young when he was in um, Indy Lights and Rocket Sports in 2004. That was about it. Race for Rocket Sports, drove a Lola Ford in seven races, ninth at Laguna Seca, ninth at Surfers, were his best finishes also had a 10th at Road America in 2004. And then that was it. Just a half season with Rocket Sports and then was done. Mr. Guy Smith. So this week's random split-era driver of the week, the fertile ground that is cart and champ car provides us Another doozy, Mr. Guy Smith.
0: Uh, Mimo Gidley was in that car for a couple of races. Nelson Philippe started out the year in that car. Then Alex Tagliani was the other other driver for that team. But, mm. I mean, you look at some of the drivers. I mean, you have Paul Tracy, Patrick Carpatier, Sebastian Bourdais, Bruno Junqueira, Ryan hunter Ray, Mario Dominguez. And then you start getting in, in Tagliani, Michelle Jordan Jr., A.J. Allmendinger, and Vassar and then you start getting into a lot of random split air drivers of the week. (laughs) Tarso Marquez did a couple, Oriel Servia, uh, Justin Wilson uh, also raced that year, but fascinating stuff. Guy Smith, this week's random split air driver of the week. That wraps up this week's episode for Justin Kinney. I am Caleb Hatch. We will be back next week to recap the IndyCar season finale at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. Thanks for joining us on New Track Record Podcast.